podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. How are you? I'm good and we're live. <laughs> that was to the audience. How are the audience going tonight? After a thrilling first day of the, the fifth test, welcome to Cricket Daily. It's the, the final leg of our daily podcast. How are you, Paul? Great, Minners. Yeah, I really enjoyed today. In fact... Although it had a few things wrong with it, probably going off for rain unnecessarily and um, slow ever rates, I think it was probably the most enjoyable uh, day of the summer for me so far. I thought the cricket was uh, scintillating, really, really, really entertaining day. Oh, absolutely. It started with a, an England uh, domination in the first 10 overs with the ball knocking our top order off and then a brilliant counter-attack by some of the younger members of the Australian top order. So had it all today um i mean let's should we start with the team selections um mm-hmm. australia went for kawaja and dropped harris I, i'm pretty happy with that how about you yeah i mean um so they brought back in head in place of harris and kept kawaja in there i, I think if they'd done anything other than that it, it would it just would have looked silly i mean we've talked about it before but there's a there is something to be said for the loyalty and the consistency and everything else but you couldn't drop Kawaja after the way he'd played and you couldn't not bring Head back in. Now, of course, people can say, well, uh, Kawaja struggled today at the top of the order, but I think that Harris would have struggled as well. Um, so I think it was absolutely the right decision. And also, we've talked about it before, setting us up for the subcontinent. As much as I want to like Marcus Harris, I just don't think he's someone I can see scoring a bucket of runs over in the subcontinent. So I think it was the right decision, 100%. I agree. And I, I think Harris is probably in a situation where he started to look a bit better, but Kawaja and Head have just made undeniable cases this summer. So I think it's a good position for Australian cricket to be in um, where they've got that sort of competition for places. So, you know, that was the only change for the Aussie team. Boland came up fit. So, um, you know, the everyman um, Australian cricket star of the summer um, continues. Um, so I think he'll do well in these conditions. So I'm glad he's playing. Yeah, Um uh, absolutely. I, happen, I found some footage today of me commentating on the Shield 11 months ago. Um, and I remember he was he was bowling and I said in another era, he would have um, probably played for Australia. And I tweeted this out today, um, partially boasting to remind, remind people that I'd once commentated on the Sheffield Shield, but also well to done. mock myself for saying, you know, like you look 11 months later, he was there. I wasn't people saying, oh, well done. It wasn't a prediction. My prediction was basically he had no chance of ever playing Test cricket. So the fact that he's playing and he's now every every person in the crowd's hero, I love it. I, I can't get enough of it. Yeah, so he retained his spot. He um, came up fit after that rib injury. And then um, England, they made a swathe of changes. Butler's gone. Bairstow's thumb didn't come up good, so he couldn't play. Um, they dropped Jimmy Anderson. They dropped Hamid. Um, yeah, they made a lot of changes. So who did they go with? Rory Burns and Milan at the top of the uh, – Crawley at the top of the order, Milan at three, Root four, Pope five, 
Stoke, oh no, Stokes five, Pope six, but I don't think Stokes can really bowl. I think he's playing just as a batter. Yep, that's right. Um, and Billings and obviously debut, made his debut. Seven um, hundred. So get this: the seven hundredth Test cricketer for England, and his lucky How many number. Australia? I bet Australia's had eleven. Well, he, he um, his um, his lucky number is seven. Billings, his his lucky number's always been seven, so it's quite fortuitous that he's the seven hundredth English cricketer. Um, I think there's about uh four hundred eighty. Nothing. I think there's about four hundred and eighty. <laughs> I was actually listening to the Ben Stokes and Stuart Broad podcast today. That's where I got that from. They were saying that apparently Billings is quite posh. Um, and that's what they make fun of him about. And Stokes said that the Sydney test is the equivalent of the Lord's test in England, snubbing the MCG. So I agree with Stokes there. He's 100% spot on. Yeah, Um, the Sydney test is equivalent to the Lord's test and the MCG is equivalent to the the Cardiff test. mm, Exactly. Perfect. (laughs) Um, And and then uh, they were talking about when those people got thrown out of the SCG. And you made the point... um, I just want to make the point, when Australia goes to England in 2023, when all the English fans start abusing Smith and Warner, if Warner's there for the sandpaper, I just wonder if all those people are going to get thrown out of the grounds in England. Um, so they were talking about that again today, which annoyed me. Um, so, yeah, so they were talking about Billings. He's very posh, but he was. I thought it was a good debut from him today, very energetic. Yeah, and I think that um, the side looks a little bit better with him in, with him being in there. Um, uh, is, it, is his nickname Bilbo partially a play on the words, but also because he looks like he looks like Bilbo Baggins from The Hobbit? I don't know. I can't talk. If anyone looks like a Hobbit, it's more me than him. <laughs> <laughs> um. So he was number. Um. So yeah, Billings was seven, and then they dropped Anderson, they dropped Leach, and they brought back Robinson and Wokes. Wood and Broad stayed. So Anderson just- will never play another Test in Australia. Well, on him, I heard Ian Botham talking about it, and he said there must be um, – and I think Michael Atherton said that there was there was talk that he had a niggle and that, that he was wasn't so much dropped for strategic reasons, but it was basically 39-year-old having played a succession of tests in a row. They just thought if they played him, you know, his hamstring or whatever could go in the first um, – he could pull a muscle in the first couple of overs and that would be a disaster. Um but if they are you're saying that they actually dropped him purely for for non-fitness reasons? Yes, I haven't heard anything about him having an injury. As I said, you never really know with bowlers, as you say, there might be just a little niggle and as and it's probably not enough to say he's ruled out, but enough for the selectors to go maybe we'll err on the side of caution. But I think it's more a rotation and, and dropped kind of thing. Well, that's possibly in a series where they've made some very dumb decisions, that's possibly the dumbest. And I know I'm saying this after one day, but I was saying it before the start as well. Of course, Anderson is a much more likely proposition than Wood on on that wicket. I mean, gosh, if, if Australia had to face up to um, Anderson instead of Wood, uh, the, the day could have been very, very different. England were um, on the verge of destroying Australia, and it was some of the most scintillating counter-attacking play that I've seen in a long time, and it coincided... When Labuschagne and, and Head really got going, it coincided with when Broad and Robinson's spells finished, and Wood sort of predictably was a little bit all over the place. But Wokes once again uh, has been very, very disappointing in Australia, and and that was um, that's one of the best partnerships I've seen in a long time, even though it was all, you know fairly brief. And then later on in the day, we, um, 
had carried it on with green. It was stirring stuff. Absolutely. Mark Wood, 11.3 overs, one for 79. That's a run rate of just under seven. Chris Wokes, 12 overs, one for 50. And Ollie Robinson, eight overs, two for 24, picked up a little niggle himself and couldn't yeah. bowl for much of the day. So, you know, you, you'd think Anderson could have fit in there somewhere. I mean, I would have, I reckon Robin, uh, Anderson would have taken two for 20. He probably wouldn't, he'd be still bowling now. So, yeah, a, a perplexing selection, but I guess. You know, Anderson walks off. His last memory of cricket in Australia will be saving the, the test match at the SCG. Yeah, um, and that's a nice memory. He deserves to have a good memory um, of that, no doubt. Yep. So, yeah, Australia with three for 12 after 10 overs. Warner gone for a duck off Robinson, a 22-ball duck, his longest ever duck. Then Labashane comes out. He's dropped by Crawley early on. Then Kawaj is caught for six um, by Root off Broad. I actually thought Kawaj looked quite good in that period when he was out there. It was very difficult, and I thought he was handling it pretty well and in the end just got a good one. Yeah. Um, and then Smith, uh, I, I don't know why Smith played at that one. I mean, maybe it was because it was spearing into the body a little bit, but it was quite short of a length. It's the normal, normally the sort of ball I thought that Smith would have left. But then... Australia were three for 12, and that brings my stat of the day in, which yes. um, plagiarism alert has come straight from Ricky Ponting's mouth, but I just couldn't resist it. Um, so from the point when Smith was out and Australia were three for 12 to the point when Ricky Ponting made this point on air, when Australia were then four for 188, Australia then scored in that period at 5.3 runs per over and that is absolutely amazing and vindicates all that I've been saying that this whole get on with the job in test cricket this whole you know stand and stand and and score very slowly and 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 don't play any shots it works occasionally but I, I guarantee you that playing your natural game and with judicious aggression works more often than not look at Cameron Green today again playing with some aggression and playing fantastically um so uh, I think they should all take a leaf out of the, the book of head and, and green. I thought it was the right tactic, particularly on this pitch where that uh, that England were trying to pitch the ball up and see what um, movement they could get. And Labashane and um, head were just driving so impressively. Um, yeah. And Labashane 44 off 53. Into, so to your stat, Australia three for 12 off the first 10, then off the next 30 overs, Australia went one for 157. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, so it's a great counterattack. So Manus Labashan, let's talk about his dismissal. This is going to be a meme for the ages. <laughs> it, it was the reverse Rory Burns. It was what just before the, the first break in um in the day. And I, I don't know, he slipped. I don't think it was actually a very good shot anyway, no. but then he slipped and it made it a lot worse. Uh, can you take a stab at describing it? I think he was getting, unlike him, he was getting really gung-ho because a few balls before he had sort of imperiously swatted Wokes over, lofted him over mid-wicket for four and a, a magnificent shot. And then he'd actually charged Stuart Broad, didn't really time it, but he charged down the wicket and it was, it was like the counter-attacking had gone to his head. And I think he was just starting to feel that he was so on top of the bowling that he could start to do a few extravagant things. And 
he had on another occasion moved across nicely a couple of times and, and worked it to the leg side with a great flourish. I think that's what he did. He premeditated it. And then I think maybe out of the hand saw that, oh, oh dear, this is a straight Yorker. And by then his foot had already gone so far across. And then he slipped. I agree with you. If he hadn't slipped, he might've been out LBW rather than bold. Like I think he was still going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, yeah. Then he fell flat on his face. And I'm sure that the, English players enjoyed it immensely. I, I think that'll be the most comical dismissal from the summer. Um, have we seen a funnier one? I don't, I don't think we have. I don't think so. It's funny that, uh, and this is kind of a pointless point, but had he gone the other way, we wouldn't be talking about it funny. It would be like huge batter headlines about him being a coward and this is disgraceful and you must not back away. But because he goes that way, it's, um, it's funny, which, you know, I'm not saying anything other than that's semi-interesting. Yeah, a perfect technique going across, but he made a meal of it. So we were four for at lunch, and then it was a sublime hundred-run partnership between Green and Head. Their their hundred their first hundred runs came off one hundred and seventeen deliveries. The partnership Head went to a hundred off one hundred and twelve deliveries, and was out a very next ball. And then uh, Green was out for seventy four off one hundred and nine balls. Uh, I mean, what an innings from Head! It's I would like to say it's the best innings I've seen in play, but the one at the Gabba was pretty good too. I mean, this is an impressive, um, you know, run of scores he's putting together in this Ashes. I heard him say before this series that he wants to start playing a bit more like he plays in the Shield where he just tries to collar the bowling. And boy, was that an extremely good innings. Yeah, I, I think it was better than the Gabba. And I think it's the best innings I've seen in the summer. And um, be cool. just I, I just enjoyed it thoroughly from ball one. Um, he's fast becoming uh, just about my favourite player. Uh, I, I can't speak too highly of the innings. It was just magnificent. Yeah, it was It was punchy, uh, beautiful square drives. Um, but a strange dismissal. He totally lost concentration. And the ball, after bringing up his century, just spooned it to long to mid on and he he was interviewed and I think he was annoyed at not going on with it because he was in such good form but I, I mean it was it was so hairy when he got out there it's hard to be critical oh yeah definitely I mean um every batsman except Bradman kind of between 100 and 110 sort of gets a bit of weakness and loses a bit of concentration I don't think England bowled especially well to him and the, the thing that's a bit disappointing is I've been critical of them all summer for bowling too short and, um, you know, being a little bit defensive. It would have been better if they'd at least done that. They just bowled, they sprayed it round to to him and to, to Green and to Labuschagne. If they'd gone back to, okay, let's just bowl at fourth stump and short of a length and aim to beat the bat a few times, on this pitch, that actually would have worked. The pitch was in those early stages so much in their favour. Uh, and Simon Kadich, I think it was on SEN, was saying, you know, imagine that three for 12, if you'd whispered in Joe Root's ear, uh, within another 35 overs, things will have gone so badly that you'll be bowling with a spread field. It's just, um, I think I've added a bit. Of, I don't think you talk about whispering in his ear, but it was just <laughs> unbelievable that that would be the case, that they, they look like they might bowl Australia up for 60. And yet by the time Australia were about three for 60, even though the scoreboard was still in England's favour, it was looking as though Australia was moving into a, a commanding position. It was, it was absolutely uh, bizarre from England. Yeah, and I, I do think Robinson going off did affect Root's plans because he probably would have brought him back a few times when he couldn't. But it, you're right. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't make 
Wood's bowling look any better. He certainly wasn't nearly the weapon he was at the SCG where he looked very dangerous. Um, and even though the conditions are different, I, I, I he just he just wasn't on. The, he was bowling too full, too much width. Um, oh yeah, he, he just wasn't a good day for him. So uh, Green made it. Um, yeah, they would have been better off bringing Craig Overton in. Um, at least he would have been accurate. I'm not even sure why did they drop Leach. I mean, I guess without Stokes, they probably wanted the four quicks. Um, yeah, with Stokes being out of bowl. Um, so Green yeah. seventy four. What an innings! I mean, his first half century in the first innings of a Test match. The first fifty came up pretty quickly, and then he he was a bit more measured, and he finished with seventy four off one hundred and nine. Caught on the boundary off Wood. I think he'll be disappointed at getting out that way. Um, you know, when his first century was in sight. But, I mean, that was the best I've seen him bat in Test cricket. Uh, imperious driving. The way he got on top of some of those length balls. I was looking at one ball he square drove, and that would have bounced above my head. And he's, he's back on his uh, back foot hitting it through point. Oh, there's no doubt it's his best innings in Test cricket. And, I mean, some of those shots... I remember, I didn't see it at the time, I think I was too young, but I remember years later um, watching a little video about the night that Steve Waugh first got picked to play for Australia. And on the news, they had a package of him playing in a McDonald's Cup 50 over game earlier in the summer and playing a back foot drive of just imperious quality that went straight to the boundary. And you hear Richie Benno's voice, he's just so, he's like, um, wow, that's a shot, isn't it? And Green played about three shots like that that I just think, they're the three crispest shots, crispest shots I've seen all summer. One was a, a back foot punch. One was more of a square cut. And one was a, a cover drive. You just look at those and think, you can see when you look at that, why Greg Chappell says he's the most talented prospect um, he's seen since Ricky Ponting. They were just uh, sublime shots. And I, I guess I'm starting to see why people say he's a bit of a nervous starter because you see once he get go once he gets going how fluent he is and how imperious he is at the crease where you know his extra reach uh you know forward and back can be so effective and I, I think actually if you look he's a bit static when he goes out there and that's why he's getting um, out early so I think that's something for him to work on just as you say just go out and be positive from ball one it's funny though that any english scribes who are kind of saying oh well, you know, Cameron Green's still a bit of a weak spot. That the, the weak spots are getting plugged pretty quickly in terms of this Australian lineup. Mm. That they're, um, uh, Carey will be interesting to see if he can get a score tomorrow because that's about it. Then it's 11 players who are all in form. Yeah, absolutely. So Australia is six for 241. Stumps was scored, uh, called early. A Carey, 10 not out of 27 balls, looked good. Stark, uh, a zero not out of five deliveries. They got through. 59.3 over. So let's go to my bad day, good day, bad day. I'll start with bad day. Bad day, um, England. In the first three hours of play, they only bowled 38 overs, which is just abysmal. I mean, I know they had a, a, an all-pace attack, but I just – that is just atrocious. That's seven Absolutely. overs short. But they've got to bring in immediate punishment for it. It's got to be um... – we talked about it. Like if they, they can... if at that break they just chopped Root's head off and like you know stuck it on the end of a bat next to the boundary, no, no captain would ever do it again. So, like, mate, go back medieval style. No, you've got to be more serious than that. Like that's too that's that's letting him off too lightly. 
him, the vice captain, the coach, just strung with heads all around the boundary, Game of Thrones style. What they should do is have a um, a modification of that thing from the hundred, which is so brilliant. Where they should have a time and say, okay, um, by the first hour, if you haven't bowled your fifteen overs, um, okay, you're two overs short. The first two overs of the next hour, bang, you're with um, only two, only ten yeah. players, yeah, um, something like that, and uh, or make it nine players if you want to make it absolutely so mm. they just have to avoid it. Um, yeah. And the fast bowlers have got to take some some ownership that that some of them probably don't need the long run ups that they have. Not that these guys have excessively long run ups, but I think for some of them it would be. I mean, the bowling coach doesn't seem to do anything for for England. He doesn't certainly doesn't stop them bowling no balls. But one of the things they could do would be for some of them. Why don't we see if we can cut five meters off your run up? And I bet I bet you won't make any difference. A bowling coach, Paul Dennett. Um, so my, that's bad day. Um, that and also bad day the umpires and just cricket in general. So have we learned <laughs> nothing from the SCG? So it rains again to start the day. And again, they have this long build-up. They delay the toss. I don't understand why they can't have the toss straight away. Um, you know, even while the covers are on, give the captains a look at the pitch, do the toss, and then so as soon as the rain stops, they get out there again. They wasted half an hour um, with anthems, and I know it was Hobart's first ever Ashes Test, but that could have been compact. And then at the end of the day. There was just, a, just a, a light sprinkle of rain. I mean, journalists at the ground have described it as, you know, the faintest rain imaginable, and the umpires just ran off the pitch as quick as they could. I don't know whether it's the umpire's fault or the um, the playing conditions. I suspect it's the playing conditions because I think it's weighted so heavily for the umpires in uh, you have to be absolutely certain that, uh, that, you know, player safety is paramount and all these things. Maybe they need to reword it and have something in there. Uh, at all times, the uh, the aim is to get players on as much as possible, notwithstanding that, yes, it has to be safe, but hurry, 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 and if in doubt, stay out there um, because it's so farcical that we see it so many times. Um, mm. The one thing we don't have to worry about in a, in a pink ball test is them going off for bad light, although it wouldn't surprise me if they somehow contrived a way to do it. But, yeah, for, for the uh, crowd <laughs> sitting in there, Uh, of a very healthy crowd and, as I said, one of the best days cricket I've seen in a long time to suddenly say, oh, well, there's a slight misting of rain, off we go, let's go home. There's just no urgency. It's like uh, you could be forgiven for thinking that the umpires, if and I said I I I was blaming the the terms and conditions, but you could be forgiven for thinking the the umpires like, oh, wouldn't mind a movie and a a coffee now. Um, Let's get off here and get out of here quickly. It's like, it's like, they're not as desperate to get the game on as the fans are. Yeah, and, and you know, the result is today um, we we lost some time and we only get 60 overs when we should have got 90 overs. And, I, don't, I mean, they played into the last session. They started a bit late when they should have. I mean, I think there's, you know, 10, 15 overs of cricket that was just waiting to be played and the umpires and, and the way the game just saunters around cost it. The fans, and there was 9,000 people that went to the first Ashes Day, and, you know, they're the ones that get gypped. Exactly, as do the millions watching on television. And if you think about that, a day with a, a really healthy run rate, with um, wickets falling and the cricket captivating, imagine how much better it would be if they played through those rain delays when they should have and if the bowling had squeezed in their records with extra 10 or 12 overs. 
it would have, it takes it to another level. It just makes it so much better for everyone. So, um, but credit to the curator. I, I thought it was a really good pitch and um, it had a bit of life in it, but it certainly rewarded good batting. Um, so, yeah, well done. Yeah, well, that was my good day. Good day, Tasmania. Good yeah. day, Tasmania, because they got the pitch right. So the curator, as you said, was a good pitch. Uh, Booney was the match referee, so they had one of their very own stars out in the middle when the coin was tossed. Look, it was going to be Tim Payne um, had there been a sliding doors moment in life, but it didn't go that way. So Booney was out there with the coin. And, uh, you know, cricket history for Tasmania, their first ever Ashes Test match under lights and, you know, a an auspicious occasion and they pulled it off. Absolutely. And 9,000, um, uh, we, we've talked about it before, a small city, uh, if you pro-routed that to put it to Melbourne or Sydney or anywhere else, it would be a massive crowd. Plus, you can't underestimate that a, a sizable percentage of people in the current climate are just not wanting to go to sporting events. I'm sure if there was no COVID... Mm. Uh, it wouldn't have been 9,000. It would have been 16,000 or something. So, uh, look, w- I was very c- cynical and sceptical about uh, Tasmania getting a, uh, an Ashes test match earlier in the summer. Um, I've come around. If they can keep on producing that sort of pitch, maybe they should have all five there. I mean, um, my friend Nick is a very good barometer of uh, the average cricket fan, the average sports fan's feeling on cricket. Like, he's the one that um, I think two years after the, the change in uh, broadcasting sent me a message saying, the cricket's not on. I've got it on Channel 9, but it's not on. I had to say, yeah, mate, it went to Channel 7 two years ago. And it suddenly reminded no. me, for those of us not obsessed by the game, that you've got to be aware of these sorts of things. He sent me a message tonight saying all pitches should be green tops. Uh, so if he's being entertained, that is a massive tick for Tasmania. Well done. Yeah. It wasn't just a green top, though, today. So Peter Siddle, I don't know if you saw that footage. Mm. No. He was saying that it can look very green on top, but underneath can still be quite hard. So once you get through the new ball, it actually can be still yeah. quite good for batting. So I think that's the way it actually played out. Um, What's your prediction from now in terms of uh, to give English listeners any hope at all? Could it be one of these pitches that um, actually becomes better throughout the test match and um, they've still got a chance? <laughs> I, I, it's an interesting question. I think it's Australia tomorrow when they start will be keen to make um, some runs with, you know, but there's 20 overs before the new ball comes along. So I think they'll really want to cash in on those 20 overs. So I think if Australia can get sort of 100, I think Australia will be really happy if they get up around 350. And I think that could be way too many for England. I just think that they want to get back on the plane. But, you know, there is still the X factor of players like Crawley, Burns, Billings, who are playing for their careers. Pope, you're right. Even Milan, I mean, their careers are on the line. They got a bit of confidence from the SCG uh, draw. So, uh, yeah, I sort of – and the way I think this test match is going to go is I think if, say, England uh, four for 20, I think that they could just get blown away. But if they show a bit of fight early and they get in the contest, maybe they can stick with Australia. But I, I think we're going to see a close match. I think the interesting thing is that if they're ever going to be convinced about the need to play their shots, this is surely it. Head – Labashane Green showed the right way. And when you've got a side with players like Billings, who likes to get on with it, um, and Stokes, who, whose natural game is to be aggressive, same as Pope, um, even Wokes coming in at number eight, that strengthens the batting as well. That He's, he's a very handy number eight. Uh, Robinson and Wood can bat as well down the, you know, Broad can slog it around. Um, the, if they play that way with that freedom, then um, I think there's a chance they could go okay. But if, if they start to just 
sit on the splice, then it could get ugly. Yeah, I don't really know what my answer was in the end. I think I did a lot of fence sitting in a long time before, but um, That's the correct answer. I mean, we don't know. If we knew, we'd be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just start Cummins Green Boland. If they get the ball at you know with three hours to go tomorrow with the the due, a bit of due, and they could just tear through England. I mean, um, so yeah, let's see. Uh, let's there's some questions here. Reese Kemp. What aspect of heads batting has improved the most? What do you think, Paul? Well, um, the obvious one to me is that I think, and he said this, that he's decided, as you as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, he's decided to play the way he plays in the Sheffield Shield in the way that he plays um, in Test cricket. And I heard Alex Doolan, who's on um, SEN, the Tasmanian former Tasmanian player, saying that the way he's played, he's seen that in many occasions in Sheffield Shield cricket, where he just comes out and dominates, and so. Um, I, I suppose that's partially to uh, a credit to George Bailey that giving them the confidence of knowing that we're not just going to pick you for one test match, that um, he can play in that natural way, knowing that if he nicked one early on in the Gabba, that, that wasn't going to put him under immense pressure. So I, I think that playing with freedom has been the big thing. Yeah, I guess the only thing I sort of think about looking at him is he just looks a little bit more fluent to me than he did a couple of years ago. Um, but I, I think players, when they're in form, always do so. Um, that could just be that. Um, there's not many other ones. It's just a comment from here from Brewer. Green reminded me of a firing Watson today. Good signs. Needs to go on for a big one now. I, I agree. And, uh, Watson in terms of the crispness of his stroke making, definitely. Mm. Um, uh, the one thing that Green has done at shield level is made big scores. So uh, yeah. he, he's got it in him. He's not one of those all-rounders who, you you know, can smash you a quick 50 or 60 if they get, get a big one, it's a surprise. You know, at Shield level, his history is to make big scores. Um, so, yeah, I you know, I think today he'll be disappointed. Today wasn't the day, but um, I think we'll see it sooner rather than later. It was the one positive moment um, for Wood today that he, he peppered him with a few short balls, looked a bit uncomfortable, and then got him out swatting at one, caught out on the boundary. So that was... Um, one positive moment. I've got a bad day as well, just if I can um, oh, yeah, good. Uh, muscle in on your segment. My bad day is radar. That uh, <laughs> I have become more and more in love with radar because I, you know, looking if there's no there's nothing on the horizon, many times I've realized, yep, the rain's about to stop and it's stopped like clockwork. Well, today they've everything's been blown up because there was nothing on the radar and yet it was raining in Hobart. Maybe actually to turn around, maybe that's what the umpire should go on and say. If there's nothing on the radar, even if it's raining, then that clearly is a sign that the rain's not heavy enough. If the radar's not yeah, like up. they pull out their iPhone. If their iPhone says it's not raining, even if it's, it's raining, raining. Bang, we're not going off. <laughs> what if the iPhone says it is raining though, and it's not raining? Do they still go off? No, they should just never go off. Um, <laughs> they should play through the rain. Have you seen that footage of um, that one day in 1977 in England where they just wanted to get it finished? And Greg Chappell was playing, and Australia needed like five to win. And it just, it came down like a typhoon, or if that's a lot of rain, like a, a teeming with rain. And they I just, haven't seen it. They just wanted to finish it. And so the last three or four balls were played in the, the heaviest rain I've ever seen in any sporting event, and they just played through it. No, fine. Yeah, right. Um, so just, um, that reminds me of the 2007 World Cup in the dark, where they just mm. finished it, when Australia won three World Cups in a row. Um, yes. All those Indians who love to... I think they're the best at the world of cricket. We've just got like a trophy cabinet full of World Cups. Um, I drink out of one. It's out of sight at the moment, but 
they lent it to me drink out of for a while. Mm, exactly. Yeah, they're just lying around the streets, just World <laughs> Cups. Just borrow them. Um, so just speaking of Indian losing, um, South Africa have won the third test by seven wickets. They were chasing 2-12 in the fourth innings. So they, South Africa have come back from 1-0 down in the series to win 2-1. That's quite a stirring victory. I think led by their phenomenal bowling attack of Rabada, Ngidi, uh, Marco Janssen. Um, but, but you know, that that's a big win for a struggling South African team. Yeah, and Olafia coming back as well has, has really helped. And I was looking at that match before they began, and I just thought, lining them up and looking at all their records, and Rabada and Gidi, Olafir, um, and Janssen's obviously quite young, but they all have sensational um, records. And I thought, they're actually going to be hard to beat in this game. And it's credit, once again, to South Africa. They just, I've said it before, they just keep on reinventing themselves. They lose so many players to a variety of reasons. Their board seems dysfunctional, yet their production line of talent. Um, there's also, um, uh, what's the batsman's name? Peterson. Um, oh yeah, Peterson. Yeah, he scored in the lot. He um, Keegan Peterson scored yes. eighty two in this chase, eighty two off one hundred and thirteen, and he got what runs um, in the in the first test in the in the earlier in the series as well. So he looks like a real um, prospect. Even their new wicketkeeper in replace of um, the cock. What's his name? Verena. Um, yeah, I noticed that he's casually got a first class average of fifty odd. So they're an extraordinarily talented sporting nation. Yeah, so I think that's a, an important victory. Um, I guess, did you see Coley's behaviour, you know, screaming into the stump mic about the, the super sport coverage? I did, and I was perplexed with it and very disappointed with it. Um, I was very disappointed in in Coley, Rahul and um, Ashwin. Because you know me, first of all, the, the, the Hawkeye got it right. It was going over the top. They showed a few balls later, um, there was one that he didn't hit and was went through to the keeper and it just missed the bales by about a centimetre. And they went and showed that on Hawkeye with the one that actually was given not out. And the two balls have an almost identical trajectory, except the one actually from that was given not out was actually slightly shorter. But they both showed them exactly the same spot. And you just look at that, it's right. It was not out. I totally get the frustration. But I think that um, I think Maria Erasmus should be... Um, in a little bit of trouble for disparaging Hawkeye um, when he was out there on the field saying that was impossible. I know it wasn't meant to be picked up in the stump, mic, but he shouldn't have said that. But the way that they're insinuating that it was, um, you know, basically cheating from from South Africa, I, I just think that's wrong. And I think that there needs to be some sanctions as a result of it, some penalties. Yeah, I don't think an international skipper should be behaving like that. I, I think that behaviour is just one step too far. But I have a lot of sympathy for him. I, I think this has been building up over the series and, I think he's right. Super sport can be real pricks. I mean, they they do like to be a 12th man. When the Aussies are there, they just all over the Aussies with cameras. Coley's point was, I think, around you follow us when we're shining the ball. Uh, why don't you follow South Africa as well? So it, it, you know, harks back to sandpaper gate for me. And I have a lot of sympathy for the Indians in this case. You know, I have very little time for that culture that comes out of South Africa. Um, yeah. So I'll always, I'll, you know, I, I, I back um, – I, I just don't think that behaviour, though, can be accepted from Coley. You know, if he's really upset, you just got to take it on the chin. He can't be screaming into stump mics. It's going to be an interesting test of the powers of the ICC because, for me, objectively, um, and I like all three players involved, I think they should be suspended for, for, for some matches for what they did. Um, you know, I can't remember who said what, but Ashwin 
and Ra- Raul and Coley all said things that were, were, were particularly disappointing, and I don't think it should be tolerated. No. And and I get yeah. What I was alluding to with South Africa is super sport are all over all the visiting teams. Uh, the crowds can be just even. I mean, they can be vicious over there. Uh, it can be a very hostile place to play. I know the South African ex players like to still feel like they're playing. Um, you know, they were running around high fiving when they got Australia with the sandpaper. So I do get Coley's frustration, and I love his passion, but. Um, yeah, you're right. It'll be interesting to see, um, you know, if BCCI is really running everything because if he gets away with that, then he, he can just do anything, can't he? I mean, can you imagine if an Australian ran up and started screaming into a stump mic? Yeah. But I think that I can't, I don't think we should conflate the two tours. This one's, I haven't watched every ball by any means, but, um, uh, I don't think that there's been any. Is there any virtually no crowds in there anyway? I just That's think good. South Africa got a culture of doing this. It's not conflating to tours. I just think they've got a history of doing it. Like, um, yeah, but I think you need some evidence that they've done it this time to, to say that. Yeah, well, I'm backing my man Coley. Um, <laughs> I mean, um, so, but know. great victory to the South African players. Um, you know, good result. But do you think there's anything in it that if Coley's sort of talking about, well, why are you watching us shine the ball? Why aren't you watching them? Is there any suggestion either way that either side's doing anything untoward? Absolutely. South Africa are like the, the most serial ball tamperers in world cricket. I mean, <laughs> they've been done more than anybody. I mean, their last captain, Faf, have been done, what, three times? Yeah, but I are mean, they doing anything now? Of course they are. I mean, you've seen the way they bowl. You can't do that without doing something to the ball. No, um, I, think you, I think you need some evidence, man, Menace. Well, obviously, I'm. A, I, I will, well, maybe if Super Sport were following their players as much as they follow the tourists, would have evidence. Um, it's an arms race. Look, I, I think the ICC have clamped down a little bit, um, but clearly Cole is suspicious. Otherwise, he wouldn't have brought it up. Mm. Mm. Yep. Um, but I, the, All right. the, the last thing that, um, as always, Hawkeye should go on the offensive and release a package showing everyone that this was legit. Like, um, it's not hard. When you see the side on and you see it all that way through, you actually realise, oh, actually, no, they, they got it right. Uh, so aggressively come out and, and back yourself so that the significant people, percentage of people who think it was a mistake, at least have pause to think, oh, actually, maybe they did get it right because it's, you know, it's not that hard to get that that, that, that right. I'm sure with the technology they are, they are getting it right. Yeah. I agree. Um, all righty. Well, that's it. It's um, late. We'll be back here. When are you going away, Paul? Day after tomorrow. Okay, so we're definitely back tomorrow. I think we'll we'll get we'll definitely get one more day's play. But you know, if you can get rolled for fifty and then follow on, maybe it'll be all over on day <laughs> no, two. I should still be available for day three as long as the Wi-Fi where I'm going works, which in Australia yeah. you can never be sure of. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks everyone that have watched on YouTube. Thanks everybody that listened on your favorite podcast app. This is Cricket Daily, the Ashes Ashes Edition. Um, I'm Andrew Mensel. It's 11.30 p.m. here, so I can hardly talk with Paul Dennett. Back tomorrow. Good night. Sports Social Podcast Network.